Hello and welcome to the Lock In Podcast, the show that lifts the lid on the realities of life in the pub trade. This episode, we're going to be banging some pots and pans together to talk about pub grub and some of the issues around all things food-related. I'm the Morning Advertiser's Ed Bennington, and with me, as ever, are my trusty co-hosts, James Cuthbertson and Heath Ball. Food is a vital part of the mix of my co-host, with Heath flying high, oh hang on, sorry, steadily slipping down the list of the top 50 gastro pubs on an annual basis. But at least he's trying. Very trying. He's very trying. I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford to bribe anybody this year. It's been a tough year financially. Usually I give you a brown envelope, I give Nick a brown envelope, I give everybody money. I usually, you're like up in the top 20. Now... Covid's hit. I can't afford to pay for you guys' holidays. I mean, it was it was only like fifty p anyway. Heath, what are you on about? Okay, jingled them out in that brown envelope. Anyway, however, whilst Heath may be sliding down the rankings of the top fifty, James's prodigious interest in Wait food now. is more likely to see him on the list of top fifty gastric bands. I don't like music. <laughs> Nice sidestep. Anyway, guys, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast using the links on the homepage or seek us out on iTunes and Spotify. Please spread the word far and wide by liking and sharing us on social as well. So we've got some great guests lined up today, including Gary Hunter, Deputy Principal at Capital City College Group or the Westminster Kingsway College, talk about the next generation of chefs. We've also got Julianne Calluit-Noble from the Sustainable Restaurant Association I probably just completely mangled her surname, so she can tell us about that later. She's going to be talking about sustainable sourcing. And we've got top chef Andrew Pern from the Star Inn at Harome to chat about the future of pub food. But first, let's catch up with my fellow hosts, see how the first few days of indoor trading has been going. So, guys, how, how has it been? We're, we're Wednesday. As we're recording this, you've had uh, two and a half days open indoors. How's it been? Giggle, Heath. Yeah. Oh, it's been exciting, Edward. It's been, it's been. Um, I'd just like to point out, people are still cold um, because we open the doors for ventilation. Um, but yeah, it's all right. I mean, you I, could put I the think, heating on. I think that, oh, we do have the heating on, but it just seems like, God, like how much do I need to destroy the planet to keep people hot? Um, as much as they but want. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> as much as they want. Yeah, people, people. Yeah, I think it's nice. People are back inside the pub. It's kind of a novelty. Um, busy. Ish. Um, I think we're busier actually when people couldn't eat inside because we've got two beer gardens. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be open. But you've actually had people sort of booking inside then saying they want to eat outside because the weather's been quite nice. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Opening day, day one. Turn up for their booking. Oh, I've actually got a booking inside. Great. We want to be outside. Oh, we're fully booked outside. Oh, really? You've got nothing? No, because you booked inside. Like, I'm not a mind reader. But, um,. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I've, I've given up trying to keep people happy. There, there is no point. You've just got to, I don't know. Sophia said just, that. <laughs> yeah, no. But you know what I mean? Like, you, you, We do our best to make sure people are happy, but like, I've just worked out after COVID, people aren't going to be happy for a long time. Do you know what I mean? Uh, how about your customers, James? How are they? They're always nicer down here. <laughs> um, we always say that, but no, there's been a few that have needed to be retrained as to how to behave as customers. Yes. Um, you have one guy clicking his fingers for... Service. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That was, uh, that was uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, then he, he he gave the um the famous gesture to uh, to get the bill by sort of air writing. So I just took him a pen over. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you wanted a pen. 
I did it completely out of badness, but he was being a tosser. Um, What's wrong with that? I mean, I, I, I occasionally you'll do the old sort of fingers rubbing together across the room. Is that is that a no? You do that. What, 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 yeah. what, are, you, what are you rubbing Maybe. your fingers for? Just sort of bring the bill. I don't that's, know. That doesn't mean cash, surely. Does that doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't yeah. mean anything in hospital. That doesn't mean anything in hospitality. You can't bring me a pen. So you're asking for money. Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> this sort of noise as Ed's rubbing his fingers together like a chorus of crickets. I, I mean, I could, I could shout across the pub, but I thought the, the rasp of my fingers. Listen, uh, shout across the pub, you're never coming back in. <laughs> you need to use moisturiser, Ed, and moisturiser. Very dry hands. Uh, I, there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to go there. So uh, daytime show. Yeah, uh, but it's been okay. Uh, like I say, people have been okay. A few, you know, we had a few moments. Well, just people that it, it was a little bit like Christmas Eve, you know, with the, the uh, amateur drinkers come out. Mm. A bit yeah. of that, not quite, you know, getting tucked in too early. Um, so no, it's been all right. I like, I like it. I like it when they turn up and you go, "Can I get your name, please, to check you in?" Mm. And they go, "I've got, I've had, my, I've had both jabs." And you go, mm. "Cool." <laughs> That's not what I asked mm. you. Yeah. I didn't ask you if you how your medical, you know, how your medical treatments yeah. going. Can I have your name and number? But I've had both injections. Well, yeah. This is going to be a long afternoon. Mm. Okay, congratulations. Can I just get mm. your name, please? Mm. Yeah. Amateur. Hour. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the other things we've seen, certainly this week, um, we had the uh, the Prime Minister's press conference on the Friday in which we all had kittens and thought that he was going to uh, scrap mm. the uh, uh, indoor opening. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound hugely positive, does it, in terms of restrictions ending in June? But I think that was, again, to make us feel grateful for what they've given us. I do. Yeah. I do think it was a little bit. It was put you, as government have always done, they've always put you on alert that something might change. And I think it was an early indication that there may well be a change to the 21st of June. I, I even, even if the, all the science said everything's getting normal, we're all mm. we're on the path to thing, I wouldn't be surprised. They go, nah, you guys are going to wait a bit longer. Yeah. I, I can't see the 21st of June happening. But also, I other, think than, we're other than, I mean, Broadly, other than being able to take face masks off inside and serving and customers putting them on when they're moving around, it's not really that much difference. There's a difference in numbers and households and all that stuff. But when you yeah, hold on, but James, James, no, you can, you can, you can just go back to normal. Yeah. You can walk up, you can walk up to the pub, and you can go back to normal. You mm. can walk and order a drink. You don't have to check in. Mm. It's a lot. It's just life's back to normal. I mean, so you can't go on uh, In front of no. operators, though, it's kind of you know. Now it's operational not really, point of view. It's you're not, you know, factors that much. It's just a ball lake because you need extra people to do check-ins and all that, you know, and the, the extra cleaning regimes and stuff. So, I mean, the irony is, I mean, you've actually found it a little bit of a benefit the the way you're operating at the moment in terms of the tables, sort of uh, mm. bookings and service and people not sort of standing up. We've, mm. you, it, 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 we've become like the government. This is what's happened. Been we like the control we have now. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, we're telling people what to do all the time. Sit down there, spend loads of money. Don't talk to those people over there. Yeah. Don't mess up there. Keep quiet. Put your mask on. And suddenly, we're finding this. Actually, we're making money from this. We're like the government now. I'm mm. like, geez, man, I'm going to renovate my house. Yeah. I'll get someone to pay for it. This is brilliant. <laughs> so what you're saying, Heath, is that you have become addicted to the power. Yes. <laughs> Love it. What would he been like in 1930s Germany? Oh, Unbelievable. I don't know. I'm yeah, thinking this, it is, all makes sense, is, his North Korea obsession now yeah, as well. It it's, uh, it's yeah, but it just thing is, like, if people walk up the nice, I'm, I'm a lot more hospitable. You know, like, if you walk up, you're an absolute dick, man. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your details, and we're going to make it the most painful experience you've ever had in your life. 
Have you got Good the app? No. Gonna need you. Gonna need you to download the app. Gonna need <laughs> you to download. You're gonna download the app. You're not coming in here because in my head I'm going, you're a prick. But you're gonna have to download the app and you're gonna have to wait there. And I'm gonna be difficult as hell because you've been disrespectful and you've been an idiot. In the old days, those people used to walk in and do what they wanted. Yeah. And you have to tell them off at the, You'd have to tell them off halfway through. Now you're telling them off at the beginning. You I know who you are. I've got your telephone number. I know where you live now. Don't mess us around. That mask is the wrong colour. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes. <laughs> All right, I'll be quiet. <laughs> um, the other thing, I mean, there's the possibility of local lockdowns again. Is that a concern? I think you were you they, affected they, by they, that. You were in a different tier, they weren't can't, you? They can't. Yeah, but they proved that it didn't work. Everybody in a lockdown in Kent, for example, just came to London to drink. Mm. You, you can't, you've got to shut the whole lot down if you're going to do it. Otherwise, everybody's just going to be like, oh, this is a waste of time. I'll move somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, I, and I think that's... Please the, can't police it. The one thing I would say about the kind of enforcement piece, which we've had a little bit of in the, in the area, is the inconsistency of it. Mm. I mean, there are just some people that just don't. We went to went to a couple of sites the other day near us, didn't get asked for our details, all the sides down the marquee, you know, it's just it's just not fair. All you want is consistency, consistency of decision making and enforcement. And I think, or for you to be able to get away with it yourself. No, no, but we've been, we, we just, you just don't mess about. You just do it properly, right? But you, you look at the decisions that people can't stand up at their table, for example. Yet they're sitting at a bar table where they're selling or sitting. They're at the same spot. It makes absolutely no difference. That stuff's nonsense. But, um, yeah, no, just, I just think people have had enough, and I'm not sure people will comply anymore. I think 15 months is enough now. And the, the fact <laughs> Mate, that I, the I, fact I'm not too right. sure, James. I'm not too sure you say that, because we're, we're, I think we're quite intelligent people who understand what's going on in the world. But a lot of these people, the 80% that sit at home on furlough again, yeah, give me the drug. If, 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 if they get offered it. So many people, though, are just, you see them walking through the pub and you have to tell them to put their mask on because they think it's done now. We're done. Mm. We're done. We've got a vaccine. We're done. So they look at you like you're well, they thought, two heads. James, they, they thought they were done in Chile. They thought they are done in the Seychelles. Yeah. They're both in lockdown. Yeah, India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Carnage. India's probably not a good example, but yeah. <laughs> not, not really, no. No, but, they, they did, but early on they did, didn't they? They, they thought it was done. But they were, oh, yeah, they thought by, they crushed it. They did it by praying you know? and getting together, didn't they, to, to yeah. scare away and bash pans, to scare away the uh, evil virus. It's a thing. Okay. Well, we didn't try that. Oh, no, we well, did, Imagine someone we? On, in the NHS yeah, got on holiday and followed them round. <laughs> they're, very, they're, very great. they're very grateful out here. Yeah, fantastic, yeah, isn't it? I don't get a pay rise, but hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, that's, uh, the, the one other thing that sort of uh, popped up, I saw a few operators saying, um, they've actually, one guy said he ran out of shot glasses on a Tuesday. Um, other people are saying they're, out, they're selling out of tequila. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Aren't people just getting a bit carried away? Was this a tequila brand owner by any chance? Yeah, Who did that with Carlsberg did something like that this week? <laughs> didn't they? Carling said there was going to be a shortage because of the demand. It was the other week. <laughs> oh, I don't know. First day was a bit was a bit feisty. Everyone getting stuck in, but it settled down a bit. I've heard reports that actually Monday was good for most people, but Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, been the quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, what, what about you, Heath? I mean, Highgate, you know, you know, lots of big spenders up there. Are they smashing back the tequilas? Nah, the more the more bottles of like Merso and you know Chambol Moussini. But um, yeah, we still no idea what he's talking about. Now, do you? <laughs> but um, it's wine. But no, it's a new beer. Yeah, it's a new beer. But no, but we were just we've just been. I think we were busier, like I said earlier, when 
that you couldn't go inside the pub because we were one of the few pubs with loads of garden space around and we were packed and everybody was going hard. So for us, with everybody else opening us around us inside and restaurants, you know, in, in London or in, in central opening, I think, you know, we took a bit of a decline in sales. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the week shapes out, but if the weather stays nice, which it's not, um, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Okay. Well, let's part that one there. We'll move on. We are going to be chatting with Andrew Purr next. So let's leave that there. listening to the Login Podcast and we are talking food. With us today we've got the fantastic Michelin-starred chef Andrew Pern from the Star at Harome, currently number two on the top 50 gastropubs list. Um, sorry, remind me Heath, what, what number are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't like to put numbers on things or labels. Unless yeah. he's number one. Yeah, thanks, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Unless he's higher than the person he's talking to. Number, which, uh... number one in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, thanks very much for joining us. So, um, I mean, right. no, it's great. Good to have you on. So, I mean, how, how important do you think food is to the pub sector at the moment? Uh, and do you think that the pandemic has had any impact on that? Has it changed things? Uh, I think it's massively important, but I think it's, it's the bigger picture. It's hospitality at the end of the day. People are wanting to come out, wanting to socialise, wanting to have, you know, that banter with with the barman, with the locals, with the, with the mates and whatever else. The food is, is what I've made my career about. I'm a trained chef. I wasn't a landlord. You know, we bought a lovely pub that I used to come to as a kid. And um, it just happened to be that I could cook fairly well. And uh, we've then made our... our establishment into that sort of gastro pub which sort of fallen into that that category without me even setting my stall out to do so um but i think the thing that we've got and the thing that people um see about the star in is that we, we are something to everybody so you can still come for a pint and read the paper have a game of dominoes if you want um or you can have you know the full works with five bar turbo caviar whatever as well so it, it's an element of coming out of the pandemic where people are wanting to uh, to have the feel of the old English pub and have decent food as well. So they're having the cake and eat it, basically, yeah, uh, yeah. which is the best of all worlds. So they're killing two or three birds with one stone. I mean, and this is probably with Heath and James as well on this one. I mean, the restrictions that, that the government put in place did seem to be very much forcing pubs into almost a restaurant kind of um, of mould, mm. you know, the whole substantial meal, table service, you can't order at the bar. I mean, do you think that's, I mean, is that going to have an impact? Do you think we're, we're being pushed into more of a restaurant kind of uh, kill off that pub culture kind of environment? Well, I, I certainly hope not, because that's what we encourage first and foremost. That's that's what we're about. We're part of the community. Uh, you don't want to lose that. When I bought the Star 25 years ago, uh, it was for sale for four years, empty for a year, and everybody who came in from that day onwards, they said, we've just not seen anybody. There's no sense of being in the village. Nobody has met each other. You know, we are part of that, and it's, it's, it's the bigger picture. It's something that... Uh, the Great British Pub stands for, and people seem to know the rules with a pub, uh, more so than they do a restaurant, oddly enough. But, uh, you know, the feel at home going into a pub, you know, and you don't, there's no dress code, you know, you don't have to ask any questions. You go to the bar, you order what you want, and you sit down and you enjoy it and have a, a few more if, if possible. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, 
and I think that's the easy thing, and people feel at ease going into well, they've been dubs the gastro clubs, um, but it, you can have nice food now as well, or you can have a pork pie and a piccalilli with it. You know, mm. it can be something to whatever to anybody, but really whatever you want to take from it, you can, and I think that's the nice thing about it. But yeah. I don't think it's a death knell for the, the Great British Pub, and I, for one, will be flying the flag for it for a long time yet. So, you know, yes, I'm a chef trained but we still have a good pub you yeah. know and that's what I, I appreciate and that's why people come to us Absolutely. because they have that sort of ability to do both mm-hmm. sorry James you were no no um, I was just going to say in terms of um, um, like the drink only stuff it's great to hear that you sort of keep the two um, running together but do you have to section your place off for that or do you just is it more of a fluid kind of you know do you have like a restaurant area than a bar or we do, we do we, uh, but we've got a bar area where people can sit at the table and they can, have, they can be drinking in the pub, sit at the bar, sit at the tables, play dominoes. There's no okay. bookings in that bar area. Because I know so, when, um, but if they want to eat, it, it, it's the same. It's the same same menu throughout, basically. Brilliant. Right. So it's up to them if they want to sit on a wonky table in the bar with somebody, you know, having a pint, mm. spill a beer over them. That's fine by me. <laughs> Still the same money goes in the till at the end Brilliant. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and some people quite like that. I like the best part of the pub. Uh, if any of you have been, is is that 14th century thatch pub? You know, it's low beams, wonky walls, open fires. It's a quintessential old English pub, really, and that's a lot of people like that. Rather yeah. than the more, I wouldn't say stiff and starchy, but the more formal restaurant area. Same menu mm. everywhere, but you can sit outside like I am now and have the same same menu. You know, yeah. I know we have to at the moment, or had to <laughs> the last few weeks, but I mean, yes, you, you, you can have a choice now even. Uh, and, and do what you want. So no, it's it is a free for all, really. But yeah. it's and it's an interesting one sometimes. I mean, how important is? I mean, what what, are you, what changes are you seeing for uh, uh, pub food? I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while now, and, and you you are obviously sort of very much at the uh, at the top of uh, top of the, the the tree there. But I mean, what what sort of changes are you seeing? Is is food becoming? We did see that wet lead resurgence before the pandemic. We saw uh, yeah. people were saying, you know, you know, wet lead pubs were dying off, and it was gone, and it was everyone had to do food. Then we saw that come back, but now the pandemic's kind of hit. I mean, how important is food to it, and what sort of changes are you seeing? Well, currently, uh, obviously, food is very important for us because that's sort of what we're doing. That's how we make our money, you know. But uh, as you say, uh, before the pandemic, before the pandemic, we had a great drinking trade as well, and we were about sort of 40, 60, you know, with uh, wet food uh, sales. Yeah. So it really crept up, and it was and it's brilliant because that adds to the ambience of the place, yeah. and um, you know, it becomes a bit of a hub. Uh, of the area and, and a meeting place for a lot of you know locals and regulars and whatever else and, and we tended to be um, getting a lot of other people who you know who were coming from drinking pubs coming to our place because the other pubs were falling by the wayside and weren't really um, encouraging people or, or, or moving with the times so mm. yes the food is is important but it's not a be all and end all uh, but currently at the moment obviously that's the thing that pays the bill you can get somebody coming and spending 40, 50 quid a head on food as opposed to, you know, a tenner on a, and a couple of pints. So, How, how, do, you, how do you manage... How do you manage that then? Because I mean, I hate this is something you as well. I mean, you you with with the change of system, you know, it's all table service now. You've got to be sat down. You've got to be tables. You know, you can make more money with people coming in to eat than just drink. I mean, that's a difficult one, isn't it? How do you how do you sort of balance that? 
What, me? Well, you, uh, I mean, I, I, both of you, really, yeah, but Heath, you go first. I, well, I think I think you've got to try and balance it. I think, like Andrew said, you want that atmosphere. So everybody just coming to eat all the time, it just gets a bit stale. There's no life. You need to have a nice balance, so we try and balance it out. But right now, like Andrew's probably trying to do the same, we need bums on seats spending 40, 50 quid a head. Do you know what I mean? We need, we need proper money in the tills right now. We don't have the luxury of going, oh, you just sit at that table for three hours and have two pints. Yeah. We need to make money right now, so it's different. Yeah. I think we're in survival mode. So how, so. how do you manage that then? Because, Andrew, you said, you know, you've got people in, they can play dominoes. Are you, are you saying to the domino guys at the moment, no, sorry, we need we need people spending They're outside at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> in the rain. We've got waterproof dominoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've actually got quite a good setup outside, and it's not—it's not bad. It's all heated. We've got actually uh, the old garden shed that the lawnmower used to live in. Now has five uh, five beers on on draft, so it's, um, it's quite a snazzy little uh, outdoor bar. And, and the guys aren't that bothered, to be honest. A lot of them are sort of working farmers, that sort of thing. Um, some of them are sort of shooting fraternity, whatever else. So they're quite used to the outdoors, and they ain't that bothered. Yeah. But if it's, uh, I'm not saying that. We're just getting bums on seats for food. If it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and we're not fully booked, by all means, get in the bar and you know keep warm and add, add to that ambience and that atmosphere. That's exactly what we want, really. Uh, and that's yeah. what the, the pub's all about, isn't it? You know. No, that's true, and I think if you you nailed that when you talk about the. Um the atmosphere you want it you want those that buzz don't you it's uh, it is a very different feel to a restaurant uh, a pub a, a particularly a good food pub you've got those people in there drinking generating that atmosphere so but they're the characters and that adds the yeah. whole atmosphere yeah. that, you yeah. can't buy that you can't you know you can't have that on no. piped music piped ambience you know uh, it's uh, it would be great uh, but uh, <laughs> no it's uh, We'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. I, not a million miles away, I don't think. I mean, it's come back brilliantly here, but we've, mm. we've got the luxury of having quite a lot of, uh, of outdoor space. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, uh, it's been interesting in the towns. We've got another place in York, uh, and that uh, is very much the opposite. That's an hour and 45 minutes table. Right. And the spend has, has doubled there because everybody's basically binge drinking and binge eating uh, <laughs> at the table. <laughs> They're, they're getting slaughtered in now and three quarters. Um, <laughs> it's quite impressive. And, and randomly, we've put a uh, um, service charge on 12.5%, which we've never done. It's completely against my thoughts anyway. Mm. And nobody's blinked, you know, for the food side. Right. So basically, yeah. not far off getting about four or five quid for an hour. Okay. Uh, on top of that page. So they are really they're happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's actually... It, uh, it's sort of it. encouraging them to get people to spend more rather than seeing them, you know just get them at it get them at it get them sat down you know and the speeding up the service it benefits everybody mm. 12.5% but um, by the time they've had an hour and three quarters at the table they're not where they are anyway <laughs> <laughs> they're not questioning anything no from uh, the up north yeah. So, I mean, in terms of innovation then, Andrew, I mean, where, where do you look for innovation or, or is it more a case that everyone's looking at you for the innovation because you're sort of sitting up there at the top? I mean, what, what's the situation with that? I would say that, no, I, I mean, you look at Tom Kerridge, you look at his food, two-star Michelin, and it's, and it's more basic than we do, really, but he just does it very well. Mm. Uh, so you can't get any more British than some of the things that Tom does at the Hands and Flowers. And, uh, and, and really, the food that we cook, uh, is very much sort of um, local, regional sort of produce, but just 
moving with the times. Um, but Steve, who's my head chef, you know, he's been here 12, 13 years now as well. And um, we sort of work together. You know, he writes down the menu and then I look at it and try and anglicize it, try and bring it back home, try and bring it a bit more into the normality of what we're about. Right. Uh, because you can get carried away with it and then it loses the food isn't of it doesn't have the heart and soul of the star in it's got to be the food of, of us and of what we do because if you lose that it just becomes a shop basically you're coming in to buy buy a meal and then you move on you know it's just yeah. it's got to have the character spirit and the wording and the, mm. and the feel of what we're, we're about up here mm. so we use sort of modern technique not, not a lot to be honest Mm. Uh, more traditional flavours but just give them a modern slant and, and revamp it a bit really mm. uh, but still the food has got to be food that people can relate to because you know we are out in the sticks a bit up here as well so mm. you know you've got to be cautious of that and not putting too many people off by doing sort of random food yeah. ideas and, and whatever else but then still keeping the foodies happy who are coming for that element of it so it's a mix mm. and match and, and more about the presentation and uh and how we actually the, the theatre of it maybe yeah you know? yeah I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of conscious of time here so just on, on last thought and we're James and Heath and I are probably going to dig into this a bit later in another uh, another session but um, what are your thoughts on on the calorie uh, counting the labelling on <laughs> menus I mean I know it won't affect you at the moment um, potentially it's uh, it's obviously no. bigger businesses but it it's no. something that we're conscious of might come down the, down the stream I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that from, from your perspective your operation not a lot <laughs> Stunned into uh, that's, that's pretty much says it all. There's two L's in bo- well, bollocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not mean, the, the not the fat pudding and foie gras is probably not not that PC mm. either. Um, <laughs> and an ambassador for Australia Lager. So yeah, I do my bit for the uh, catering industry. Put it that way. Yeah, and uh, not for the calorie industry. Excellent. That's probably the best yeah. answer for it. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, Andrew. Well, that's all we've got time for. But thanks very that's much for joining us. Cheers, Andrew. Thank you. No problem. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much. All the best. Cheers. See you, lads. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Welcome back to the Lock-In Podcast with myself, Ed Bennington, Heath Ball and James Cuthbertson. So guys, let's dig into the uh, calorie issue a little. We touched on it with uh, Andrew Pern, who pretty much kind of just sort of didn't say a great deal because he just thinks it's a load of old bollocks, I think, mm. and maybe summarising that. Um, it's in the Queen's speech, or it was in the Queen's speech. It is coming. First, first the bigger guys. Well, not even that big, though, is it? I mean, 250 employees isn't that big a number uh, there's going to be some multiple operators that, that probably don't consider themselves to be particularly massive that are going to be hit by this um, but it will spread it's going to, if it comes into that it's going to come into others isn't it I mean what, what do we think what are your thoughts on it go on Heath you'll be uh... James well I was gonna, okay I'll go right. first quickly then but the, the idea of the bigger guys can probably cope with it better because the likes of McDonald's etc have a fairly constant menu where and they have it the money change, yeah. to you know to put that sort of stuff together but on a daily changing menu we actually well, are they a, doing it already I mean the, the, the fast yeah, food yeah, guys yeah, yeah. are aren't they because, they've already done it they've already done it yeah, yeah because they, they, McDonald's Burger King I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah. it's just easier for those to have a, a you know a, not a changing ever changing menu yeah but um, it's also treating everyone like absolute idiots 
and it's just, you know, just, I think it's absolute nonsense. I mean, you, you know, if you're fast, I get it on a fast food thing, which people tend to eat more regularly, and it's, and it's not a treat. It's just literally kind of, oh, I'm going to go and grab my lunch. I'll go to KFC or I'll go to McDonald's as you do every day, James. But then I get it. it, but it the people who are going to McDonald's and KFC and that don't. Care. No, no. They want to eat McDonald's. They want to eat KFC. They're not going to sit there and go, "Oh, she's." I've already had two thousand calories today. Got to watch my weight. It, it, they're trying to put us into like a nanny state, mm. but no one cares about it. And to put, it's just another cost that we're going to have to deal with as operators. Mm. And you just think to yourself, right? If I'm going to set up a business now, um, everything's going to be a separate limited company. I'll make sure I'm not too mm-hmm. big. So I can get all the business rate grants because if you yeah. there was a thing over the business rate grants recently, mm-hmm. and you just make sure you can just fly below the radar and all this compliance. Don't, don't you do that for tax reasons already? Well, the, the, the house in the Caymans is a different story, mm-hmm. but it's just it's just it's bullshit. It's like they're, they're constantly weighing down our industry with compliance on shit that is absolute shit and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think I've said before, you lose all that sort of fun of like you know writing menus and being creative. Mm-hmm. You imagine if you wrote a menu and you're like, oh my god, we've got to, okay, well we can't get that in today and just do that for one special because we've got to give a calorie count. What do you mm-hmm. do then? Do you just go? Oh, can you guess? I reckon mm-hmm. there's three thousand calories in that. 10,000 calories. Does it have to be precise? Well, can you just exaggerate the amount? You know what I mean? Like, leave us alone. Did the government not think we've had a hard enough year as it is? Well, I do think there's an element, again, without wanting to, you know, incite, you know, rebellion, but just don't do it. Let them come and... Let them just, or, just or, or just dump your menu, Justin. It says calories. Lots. Yeah. Yeah. Just, there's got to be a way. It, got if to be a if way. you're worried about calories... Don't order this. Mm. Maybe oh, I, I was um, I was booking a Spanish restaurant once, and a, they a Spanglish, and was they, that? Spanish restaurant. Oh. I was in Spain, a foreign country, Ed. Oh. And I was looking at the menu, and then it said allergens, and it said every dish we have contains all fourteen allergens. <laughs> and that yeah, was perfect. And clearly they didn't, but they were just like, okay, we they're all on there. Nice. Yeah, we just can't be bothered. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat. Don't come here. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. So maybe that's maybe that's a solution to the calorie thing. You just, you just go lots or <laughs> more put, than one, a, less than ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and those people just, can like, make their own decisions. It's uh, it's just like we're weighing ourselves down with so much shit and compliance, mm. and it's just gonna it's, all it's gonna do is stop creativity. And we're gonna mm. as an industry, we're quite creative. We put up a lot of shit, but suddenly people are gonna be going, "Why would I want to go and be a chef, man? We have to sit there, write all the dish out, then I've got to pass it to somebody who's gonna work out how many calories there are. Mm. And we're gonna get machines." I I don't know. Do you know what I mean? How do you do it? I mean, is, is there a is there a you, need, is a, you can a get person on your who iPhone? Does it, no? I assume there is, but one of my girls is a nutritionist, She's and she what? does it as a job, a nutritionist. Oh, right, okay. And she does it's it as a job, so. a part-time job. She writes down calories, works out calories and food. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and these people are going to clean up. You know mm. what I mean? But fuck, leave us alone. <laughs> So you're, you're all for it then, Heath, I'm, I'm guessing from that. Massive uh, believer. And obviously, Boris doesn't give a shit about calories, does he? It's not like he's a poster child for healthy living. He talked a lot about losing your weight. I don't think he's lost much uh, Terry. When, really, he he? when he was doing press-ups in 10 Downing yeah. Street on the wow. ground with his sleeves rolled up, shoot me in the head. He can still make like, an expensive suit look cheap, can't he? Oh, but... but <laughs> You can't say anything against the guy. Jesus. You can't say anything against the guy because Tory... I'm not anti-Tory. I'm not anti-anybody. Well, just You are. Hold on. I'll probably have a list, but I won't put it on here now. But but what I don't get is, is they just love him and it's just madness. People just love being told what to do. I've worked out. In this country, they love being told what to do. 
So, I mean, the, yeah, do you think they'll... I mean, you said rebellion. Uh, do you think that oh, this no. is going to stick? We're too, no, no, James, we're, we're too soft. Remember we went to the MA500 meeting mm. up in Scotland and we sat in the room and I said, the only way we stop business rates is we all stay, we're, we're not going to pay them. Mm. We all get together and we say, enough's enough. We're not going to pay our business rates. We've had enough of this shit. Mm. Reform it. Right, and they all sat there and went, oh, it's a bit too radical, isn't it? <laughs> too radical? We're getting ripped off by this government. When is enough enough? And they all sit there and go, too soft. We'll all sit there and go, oh, we don't want calories. No, no. Okay, yes, yeah, we'll do the calories. Yeah, I don't want to get a fine. I mean, hey, you, you could lead this rebellion, though. I mean, oh, yeah, I think no, you could be the, uh, the figurehead. I mean, you, you, oh, yeah, great. you like you telling your customers what to do, so... Fucking no one listens to me anyway. Yeah? You're, you're he came up with a good news the other day and he said, just imagine if I had more time to think, I could rule the world. <laughs> That's a direct quote, isn't it? That's a direct quote. I could rule the world. He came with a dish involved Welsh Rabbit. This is, this is a why. New dish, I could rule the world. This is why he wants to live in North Korea, isn't it? He wants to uh, usurp King Jong, whatever his name if is. If I could go and get some, I've got to go to Turkey, get a hair implants, right? <laughs> get my hair done. Not Greece, though. Move to North Korea. Move, move to North Korea. Shut up, <laughs> <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. A sharp suit and Cuban heels. He's off. No racial stereotyping nuclear... at all in this well, podcast, is that? So. This nuclear program that's taken me years to do, I'd have it nailed in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's a good job he hasn't got a lot of time to think, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, it starts to wander in that direction. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a worrying thing. So I think let's, let's, let's draw a line under this one because we've deviated slightly from the topic. So big thumbs down generally to uh, calorie counting. But, but it's happening. But it, it's happening, isn't it? It, this is coming it is. into yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 well, it, it, it's it comes. It comes into place for for larger operators. Um, and we'll How see many people have got two hundred and fifty employees have just gone shit? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> Gotta let you go. It's uh, it's in. Now we've got two hundred and forty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's leave that one there then. This is the Lock In Podcast, and we're welcoming special guest Gary Hunter, Deputy Executive Principal of Westminster Kingsway College, part of the Capital City College Group. Uh, it's a leading catering training organisation and very well known to most of our listeners. So thanks for joining us, Gary. My pleasure. Good to see you. Good stuff. So, I mean, we, we've seen the challenges out there at the moment. Everyone is struggling to attract enough chefs. What's, what's your view, Gary? Um, are people applying to your college to train the chefs? Are we, are we seeing a, a drop-off in that? I mean, what's the situation from your perspective? Um, well, first and foremost, the, dem- the demographics of uh, teenagers uh, took a dip over the past five to six years. Um, so we saw a little bit of dip in uh, applications uh, onto our professional chef diploma, which is our full-time three-year uh, program uh, for professional chefs. Uh, and predominantly, we take 16-year-olds on for this. But this year, uh, we've seen an increase in applications. Uh, okay. Probably, uh, we, we look for about 150 places uh, to, for every year for, uh, for our, um, our first year. And we've seen uh, applications exceed 250 this year. Right. So that's really, really good. Uh, our conversion rate of applications means that we will probably hit the, the 150 mark, and we might even go over that as well. So signs are good uh, that the demographics are starting to creep up now for, for teenagers, and at the same time that that um, uh, 
interest is there for hospitality and catering. Uh, so I'm really, really pleased about that. But we need more, and uh, we need to be able to get into schools. Uh, the industry needs to be able to try and get into the schools as well and uh, talk to those school children uh, probably around the ages of uh, 10, 11, 12 years old and start to talk to them about the breadth of the industry. That's really, really crucial. That, that young then? We need to, yeah, absolutely that young. Right. There was a study that was undertaken uh, not so long ago which said that uh, nine-year-olds had being a chef in their top five uh, occupations when they were nine. By the time they turned 13, uh, we weren't even in the top 20. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there is a change, there is a sea change uh, between the ages of nine and 13 as to what uh, kids perceive they want to do and where where their hopes and aspirations lie. And what we have to show is that the hospitality industry is vibrant enough and offers that uh, diversity and challenge and excitement for them to have an absolutely fantastic career. Is, is it the case? I mean, the other, the other factor of this, and we've always said this, is not just catering. There's other, other industries as well have this problem. It's, it's the, the mum factor, the parent factor as well. You know, if a kid yeah. turns around and says to the parents, you know, I want to be a chef. Um, I mean, there was a time when that was, that was seen as, oh, actually, yeah, you know, Jamie Oliver flying high, all these kind of things. People wanted to be the next celebrity chef. But it used to be, it had a much more negative connotation, didn't it? If, if parents would sort of, their kids came to them, they'd go, well, no, 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 you need to be a, a mathematician, you do maths, and, you know, or be an architect or something like that. It's far more. Get a proper uh, job. Get a proper job, yes. Yeah, I wasn't going to be that rude about it, James, but. Thanks well, for it's cutting. Our, it's our career. We're cutting, cutting just through that. saying ourselves, really, yes, aren't we? Yeah, but it's true. true. Yeah. So, I mean, is it, how, how are we addressing that? Because it's one thing to get the kids excited about it, but there's another thing to get the, the mums and dads. Yeah, it's very true. I, I remember when, when I first went off to, uh, to college in the 80s, and uh, I'd done O-levels, and, uh, and uh, got my O-levels, and I went and sat in front of the, uh, the two chef lecturers who interviewed me, and their first question was, why do you want to be a chef? Mm. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I just uh, like well, you know, I, I just do. Well, you, you've done A levels, you can go off and you become a restaurant manager, a hotel manager, or something like that. And that's not what I wanted. Um, and so, what we do now is that uh, we we have open days and we invite the family in. You know, it's not just about the individual student, the potential student. It's a family experience. So we want to get the families in. And even when we have our, our interview days, our interview days are on Saturdays. Uh, so that we can invite parents and guardians in. Right. Uh, and we can talk to them about the industry and spend time with them throughout the whole day just talking about the industry and about the options with the industry. And sometimes we even get industry members to come in and talk to them as well. We have coffee afternoons or coffee morning sessions with them and we just mingle uh, with, with a crowd of about 50 of them and just talk it through whilst their, their, uh, their, their uh, sons and sisters are off doing the interviews and doing all of the tests and engaging with the process of becoming uh, a, a chef, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, you know, we're trying to do the same thing by engaging their parents and guardians. And I think that's really crucial because invariably the, um, the, their, their view of the industry is going to be coloured by going out to eat, Mm. which is great, you know, because hopefully that's a, that's a great experience or what they see on TV. Mm. Unless they know 
uh, a close family friend who is a chef or is a restaurant manager or, or whatever uh, and can guide them in the right direction. Uh, but that's not always the case. Mm. Um, we tend to get a lot of uh, potential students here whose, whose mothers and fathers have been in the industry. And actually, if you want to go in the industry as well, then Westminster is the place to go to. But we want more than that. We want to have a, a, a far, far wider reach than that. Mm. I mean, the, the other thing we've, we've certainly seen, there's been a, a, a number of closures of, of catering schools as well. Is, is that a trend yes. that we're seeing with, with the lack of um, uh, venues and places for people to go and train? Uh, potentially. I think, um, with all due respect to, to those colleges that have decided to, to close uh, the doors to their catering provision, um, one of the biggest reasons they do that is because there, there is a lack of numbers going in. Um, and it is uh, an expensive proposition to run a catering college. Um, I, I see that day in, day out here at Westminster. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and if you don't have the student numbers coming through, it becomes even harder to do. Mm. Uh, so so you know, college uh, principals uh, are having to look at the bottom line. Uh, FE colleges are really poorly funded compared to schools and universities. Um, you know, we are... You know, we're around 15 to 20 percent underfunded at the moment uh, in, in terms of uh, you know student uh, funding per head, and um, and if you have another area that is really growing, such as uh, I don't know the sciences or performing arts or something like that, then you're actually going to start to go where where that uh, that re- um, requirement or that need is. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we've seen colleges that have, uh, have done that and have uh, knocked the, the catering provision on the head. So uh, it's um, almost the, so the one thing is begetting the other. So with the, the lack of people coming through is, is leading to a dearth of, of colleges wishing to, to use it as a, as a call centre. It's, it's partly that, but, but without, without levelling any, any blame in the industry, it's, it's about the, the local industry supporting that college. Mm. and ensuring that they can get in there and ensuring that they can support the recruitment of new students as well mm. and just, just becoming involved. And I think with that involvement, helps that longevity and the, uh, the impact on that, on the, on the hospitality, local hospitality community as well. So I think there's, there's a role to play with, with hospitality industry and colleges working really, really closely together to ensure that the, the longevity of that uh, provision uh, is still there. So that, 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 let me bring uh, James and Heath in on this then. I mean, you two as operators, I mean, are you are you connected to your local colleges? Are you, are you sending people to them? Um, James is looking shifty. And, uh, no, no. We, <laughs> I actually uh, went to the local Sorry, college here. And I, I'm a bit scared to go back, really, uh, <laughs> in case they've worked it all out. Out. Um, but we, we, we don't really I don't know that I'm aware of this we've talked about it before but not actually done it um, I think we now have a size where we could probably take on apprentices right um, yeah. so my question was going to be you know being really practical for um, you know licensees like ourselves um, you know what would your tip be to that engagement is it a case of getting them in year one two three you know at what point should you be striking up a relationship because are they leaving on year three and they're going to restaurants because pubs still have a uh, a kind of um, a reputation issue in terms of career or you know what should we be doing as pub pubs to get the best talent to us and then um, should we engage yeah. yeah good question James uh, I, I think get into year one absolutely get into year one our um, 
we do work experience in, in years one, two, and three. In the first year, we, we send all of our students home for four weeks to contract caterers um, because we know that's a, a sector that is uh, unsung uh, in, in, in media uh, outlets. Uh, but equally, we know they're massive employers. Uh, and we want our students to see that side of the, the, the industry, to understand that actually, you know, the, the long hours and the unsocial hours uh, probably aren't predominantly part of that particular sector. Um, so we want them to see that. In the second year, we also want them to see what it's like to work in, in restaurants uh, and hotels and, and gastro parts as well. So we will send our students out in there. And in the third year, we will then try to uh, make a, a bespoke package for those students because by that point in time, they, they'll have an idea about where their career is going. Um, and so if they want to be a pastry chef, then we will send them to you know, a top pastry kitchen in London. If they want to go into uh, restaurant management, uh, then we'll talk to them about what particular restaurant areas they want to go into. And then we will try to, 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 to make that correlation for their, their workplace. But the end idea is that wherever they go, they might get offered a job. So when they graduate, they go straight into a job. So... I think, James, you yeah, get in with the first years, but actually just get in with the college and, uh, and, and just go and make that offer for work experience. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so communication is, is going to be key, I think, to, to build those relationships. That's, that's, is there any other advice you'd offer to, um, conscious of times on our side, but any other advice you'd offer to pubs and bars to, uh, uh, to improve things? Well, I mean, there's a new educational paper that's just been published um, yesterday. It came out as a bill yesterday, the uh, Post-16 Skills Plan uh, white paper, um, which is really, really pushing again for colleges to work closer with industries. Um, so there is an absolute necessity. You know, colleges should be reaching out to you guys as well and saying, please, can you come and you know, talk to us? Please, can we work together? shape curriculum to, to, to meet your needs, but also um, to work with you to get our students into, into the best jobs and to, to support the industry as, as it comes out of this horrific year that we've just had. Um, so there is a stimulus there for colleges to work closer with the industry right now, their local industry. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, Gary, that is all we've got time for, but thank you very much for that. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. You're listening to the Lock In podcast, and we're talking about food in this week's episode. And one of the key issues that's been on everyone's agenda in recent years is sustainability particularly when it comes to sourcing for your menus. With us to discuss the topic is Julian Calouette noble from the Sustainable Restaurant Association. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, let's, let's maybe kick off. Let's start. Um, just tell us a little bit about the Sustainable Restaurant Association and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, at the SRA are a membership organization for the hospitality sector that's focused on sustainability, kind of exactly what you would expect from a sustainable rather, restaurant association. Rather obvious, yeah. Uh, we, we've been around for about 10 years. We were founded in 2010, and uh, we were very much founded kind of by hospitality for hospitality. So uh, two of our 
our founders. One is Henry Dimbleby, who went on to kind of found Leon restaurants um, and is currently writing the National Food Strategy. Uh, and then another sort of restaurateur and two sustainability consultants. They came together and we're having a, a kind of internal conversation and debate about the rise of awareness of sustainability, uh, especially in the corporate sector, and the idea of kind of, you know, corporate social responsibility policies and strategies that were going into place, very popular in the kind of mid-2000s as a, as a starting point, and also around the growing sort of consu- changing consumer and the consumer demanding kind of more transparency in their food purchasing and the way that supermarkets were responding to that. And the reflection was... Um, sustainability is an issue that uh, chefs and restaurateurs cared cared to some extent deeply about and yet there was no commonality or framework for the industry as a whole to define sustainability. So you might go into one restaurant and they would say to you, I'm sustainable because uh, we we got rid of plastic straws. You might have somebody else who was like, oh, I know what sustainability means. I source from my local, you know, whatever farm. And um, there wasn't a kind of holistic framework that explained for the industry how uh, sourcing, how your environmental impact, how your social impact all play a role in becoming a sustainable restaurant. So we launched the SRA in 2010. We had 50 founding members. We now uh, work with somewhere around 11,000 kitchens in the UK. And we also are no longer just restaurants. Um, So says that we work with all sorts of food service businesses. So everyone from sort of street food to contract catering to uh, plenty of pubs and uh, some hotels, some transport. um, So kind of all variety of food service. Brilliant. Okay, well, that was going to be my question. That do you do work with pubs and bars? Because the, the yeah, restaurant bit is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it would have been useful. But, uh, um, I mean, from your point of view, then, I mean, focusing on that pubs and bar sector, are, are, are we doing enough to be sustainable in, in that space? Uh, I guess the uh, the sort of diplomatic answer to that is that <laughs> no, sustainability sorry. is a journey and not a destination, right? <laughs> right. So. There's always more to be done, Um, but I do think we can be, I I genuinely mean it when I say that I think um, there's a lot to be proud of in terms of the strides that have been taken by uh, UK hospitality as a whole. I do think that we have one of the most kind of progressive sectors in the world in terms of um, our sourcing, our policies, our response to some of these uh, these issues and the, the kind of way that the sector is responding um we are just now working um we're actually working in collaboration with uh with coca-cola and another kind of uh not yet announced um alcohol brand to support a net zero uh strategy for pubs and bars specifically Mm. uh because i do think there are certain elements of uh pubs and bars that have lagged behind in terms of sustainability um, because of if you're the the kind of moving the focus away from food that um, I think takes away some of that like immediate attachment to sourcing for example and some of these ingredients that are so common in our pubs and our drinks 
like citrus fruits and you know we don't really think about food waste in the same way in the wet lead establishment even though we generate maybe a lot of it from garnishes and things like that so we've been working on a protocol for um for pubs and bars to go net zero and create kind of carbon neutral strategies and um, we're really excited to be starting to pilot that and then we'll be launching it for the whole industry later this summer fantastic something to watch out for so let me just put heath and james on the spot then so uh what are you guys doing to be more sustainable james and that the driving a BMW i3 doesn't necessarily it's count. Because <laughs> Heath, Heath doesn't offset you by driving a BMW X8 or whatever the hell it is he's going to I'm, I'm the yin to his yang on this one. Um, I, uh, clearly not enough. You know, you put me on the spot. It's nice to have us on the back foot rather than your incompetence on the back foot. Um, oh, that's good. So, uh, no, not enough. Yeah. I, was ho- I was hoping to learn a lot today, actually. That's why, I was, uh, that's why I was here, really, to find out more about what we can do, Ed. Oh, oh nice dodge. Thank nice you. dodge. I like that. Thank uh, you. Hey, I, I know he feels exactly the same. No, he, he can't use that dodge. He's got uh, to answer on his own there, Max. Uh, listen, it's, it's, it's a tough one, Ed, because I, I'd like to think that we look at the way we run our businesses, we look at how we do things, and obviously when the world was going plastic straws, which is great, and we, we changed, obviously, and, you know, it's. but if you look at what we generate in waste and how we do things, we do food waste bins, and we do all that, we try to do our best, but if you look at, like, at all, it's just a mess, our whole industry, really, we just, it's, are we really sustainable? You, you talk to fish suppliers, they go, you're sustainable, then you watch documentaries, well, are they sustainable, and the way, if the whole, the whole food um, what is the word I'm looking for? It's yeah, it's just a mess. And it's just like from plastics to everything. And, you know, everyone loves saying they're sustainable, but really how sustainable are they? And I mean, I'll be the first to admit that, when, you know, we've got glass bottle, you know, we could talk about doing wine on tap, but you always look, it's not, it's just a mess. I just look at the whole thing and go, where do you even start? Like, and, you know, you get customers virtual signaling and go, using plastic straws. You go, well, no, we're not. We're using the plant-based ones. We're really trying our best. But people love calling you out and shit like that. But we'll pull up the front of my pub and brand new Bindleys. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just, you know, I, I think, you know, the plastic bags and the I mean, way the think- planet's... Do you, th- do you think that the, uh, I mean, you, you've talked about this before, Heath, you know, with the sort of people wanting the outside heated uh, because we're having to house, I like kind of thing. I mean, Julia, do you think that the, the problem we've got, that the sustainability maybe has gone off the boil as a bit of an issue in the pandemic, or do you think people are still very much uh, it's double on standards, with that? No, it's just double standards. It's absolutely double. I think it's absolutely double standards. And I think, uh, you know, you brought up a really good point with that virtue sig- signaling and that kind of, um, you know, the response to to plastic straws. I definitely had a, a moment in that kind of height of the plastic straw frenzy in which I went in somewhere to order a, uh, an iced coffee. And I was given a coffee in a plastic cup with a plastic lid. And they told me, I'm sorry, we don't have any straws. And we removed plastic straws. And I looked at them like, how am I supposed to drink this as a consumer? And this is insane because you've just given it to me in a plastic cup with a plastic lid. So absolutely, sometimes there's sometimes there's not a lot of thought behind the things that uh, consumers drive change around, which is I think why we would say that that we can't always wait to follow the consumer and to just only think about the things that we respond to consumer pressure on. Um, the response on COVID, I would say there is a lot of there's been a lot of kind of survey taking and things that have that have pointed to the idea that people 
want to um, be better post COVID and that they, that people are more kind of engaged with wanting to support um, local suppliers or maybe people cooked more during COVID um, than previous. I would say that uh, reflections usually are that consumers overestimate their um, virtues on those sorts of things. And so I'm not sure I would trust them entirely. Um, And I would say there's that double standard, right? Because you pointed out heating. Um, Heating is a huge, huge uh, energy suck. And we really, um, you know, this this kind of push to get everybody outside underheated in closed spaces um, was definitely like really problematic on the footprint of businesses. I, I put I put up a social media post. Sorry, James. I put up a social media post saying, "Please wrap up warm. We 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 don't have enough heaters to like heat. You know, I mean, I hate the heaters. They do my head in. We're burning yeah. propane into the atmosphere to keep people yeah. warm who don't dress appropriately to go outside." And I put up a, a post on Twitter. Oh my God, the world! I I, I basically said the earth was flat almost you know what i mean all these freaks came out and said there's no such thing as global warming you don't know what you're talking about yeah you've got to put more heaters out there you've got to look after your customers you're not running a they did point business. out you were being a bit of a cheapskate and you didn't want to pay for the heating yeah i got called yeah. cheap because i don't even want propane heaters i never wanted them and i put them out there because i got so many complaints because people were cold and if you said bring a blanket and all that I'm being an irresponsible operator and not welcoming you by having blankets, which you can't give because of COVID, and yeah. not having enough eating. How much propane? I was trying to look at ways to find... They're horrific in terms of yeah. the actual print of them. They're horrific. And we've been, we've been definitely uh, strong advocates of businesses not using outdoor heaters and using things like blankets instead. Um, but you know but the I, problem is? You know the problem is? People are so frustrated and so upset with their life they yeah. just want their life back, and they don't care. They don't care. They don't care about the planet anymore. He said, yeah. "Well, this is destroying the planet." Well, I don't care. I've had a horrible year. <laughs> and I guess that's the, that. That comes back to that initial question of, of is, it, is it an issue that people are less engaged with because they've had such a terrible time, and they're just, you know what, we just don't care. Well, no, hold on. I think one of the. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say some practical stuff as well around one of the big burdens we have is dealing with the um, what suppliers give us to get rid of in terms of wastage. Um, and it's you, yeah. know, you see some of the Amazon stuff, it's massive box and there's like, mm. you know, one golf ball in it. But even practically yeah. like here, you know, we get maybe so more than much, one more than one. At more than time. one yeah, yeah, yeah. So. A box yeah, full, maybe. Yeah, why are you playing golf no, but, you're supposed to be at work? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but then you see some of the stuff you get from suppliers and it seems to be, that, I don't know about you, but there seems to be more than ever. And I don't maybe it's because the supply chain's not um, geared up right, not flowing right properly. But one of the biggest challenges you have practically is just if you look at what you want to do in terms of recycling and separating um, materials, is space. Actually space yeah. in the site to do it. You know, to have different bins for this, that and the other. When every square inch yeah. is really important to trade right now and to, to stock and all that. And so I'm just being realistic about it. It's one of the challenges that we have, particularly one-way cakes. Yeah. One-way cakes is a massive problem. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just huge. And no one's very, dealing with it. You know, I, our, our kind of position on that is that absolutely need to push back to the supply chain so that they um, so that that volume of waste isn't coming in in the first place um being really essential and i do think you know i do think that that is um 
I think it's a it's going to be a really confusing summer, right? Because people have had such a bizarre year, and it's hard to fully know how customers are going to respond mm. over the course of this summer back in. Because I would say, on the one hand, you're absolutely right that people just want their life back, and they don't want to think about anything. You know, they they don't want to think about the bad things like the planet is no. burning. On the other hand, I do think that, for example, forcing as much delivery into our own homes as we have been doing has highlighted to people, it definitely has for me, the, the amount of waste, you know, dealing with with uh, everything needing to be home delivered instead of going to pick it up at shops just means cardboard all the time and, you know, and, and people don't want it anymore. And, and also, I think that there is, at least amongst young people, definitely a growing awareness that something like COVID is only the start. If we don't start dealing with some of these climate issues, this is only the start of the disruptions mm. to our life. So now's the time to start mitigating and to start making changes because otherwise we're looking at a really disrupted future. And I think food is at the center of that because as much as supply chains have been disrupted this year uh, across the board, climate change is going to 100% disrupt our food supply. Mm. And so I think you know, now is the time to be proactive, to show your customers. And I think one of the, um, I was speaking to a brand recently, uh, actually to, it was to the founder of, of Hawksmoor restaurants. And I thought he said something really interesting, which was that, uh, his feeling is because customers are more accepting that businesses needed to do whatever they can to survive over this past year, it almost feels like there's customer permission to take risks that you might not have been willing to take before. So another example was like Nando's uh, has had beef on their menu. Like, I mean, I know nobody goes to Nando's store to beef, but they never felt like they could remove that option. And they did during COVID because they didn't need it. And it felt like they finally have some like almost a pass from consumers mm. to change things in a way that they didn't before. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just conscious of time. Sorry, guys, but there's an issue we could talk about for, for a long time. But hours and in, hours. Indeed. I mean, what what tips would you give to operators from a practical point of view that they could, some easy wins that they could think about to improve their sort of sustainable credentials? So I would be, I would definitely be, um, you know, thinking about your kind of energy, your uh, waste, and your supply chain. So on energy, you know, there's all those kind of quick wins in terms of LED lighting and, and um, energy monitors, installing a smart meter. Um, there's loads of government support at the minute for um, things like that. So if you need to upgrade your kit, I would be checking that out. Um, and then looking at whether or not you can switch to a green energy supplier. So that's kind of in that energy space. Um, waste, we've talked a little bit about in terms of uh, the the kind of waste coming in from your supply chain. Moving to things like kegs and, um, you know, beer, wine on tap, that sort of stuff is um, is huge in terms of reducing that, that uh, glass bottles. I would be talking to your soft drink supplier, you know, for if you are getting drinks in, in plastic, um, speak to your suppliers about what they're doing about it. Um, I know that they're, the brands like Ritvik and some of those big suppliers are doing quite a lot um, and to ensure that you're kind of supporting that themes, those schemes. Um, and then on the supply chain side, particularly if we're talking bars and pubs, um, I would really be thinking about 
so sorry, this is kind of linking the two with waste. I would be thinking about are you using unnecessary garnishes in in drinks that you know don't need to to be there that are actually just creating waste at the end of the day and they don't serve a purpose. Mm. We've spoken to a number of clubs that, for example, we're using are using different juicing limes or lemons to then the the ones that they're that they're skinning for um, twists and that sort of stuff. And so, is there a way to change your operations so that you're not generating unnecessary? food waste um, and rethinking how you're using can you use can you be using kind of you know seasonal or British ingredients instead of you know pineapples or um, just a whole bunch of lemons and limes mm. um, those are my those are my uh, off the top of my head perfect. quick tips for both no, that, that is fantastic. And like I said, it's one of those topics we, we could talk for a long time, but unfortunately we, we don't have the time today. But thank you very much for that, Julie. Really appreciate those thoughts. Though. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks, Julie. Really great to meet you guys. Have a great Cheers. rest of the Especially afternoon. You too. You too. Take yeah. care. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast, and we are at the end of this week's episode. So, lots of, uh, sorry, food for thought there. I had to get that pun in at some point during this podcast. Is that what it was? It, it was. I mean, just the sigh there, James, mm-hmm. says it all. Um, been a long day. It has been a long day. I've had to spend far more time with you than I would normally <laughs> like. So, uh, it's this works two ways. Um I mean, the, the, the sustainable thing. I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it, it is quite an overwhelming um, issue to, to get to grips with. I mean, you said earlier, James, and what was the f- delightful phrase you used? Something about it being like a pimple on the bottom? Uh, pimple, yeah. Like, uh, what we can do is a pimple on the bottom of the problem. It's tiny, but, you know, I know many hands make light work and all that, but it does feel slightly overwhelming. And can we really make a difference when... Amazon are chucking boxes and boxes at you. I know we've got to order them first to get them, but um, well, yeah, maybe not ordering a single it's golf not me. ball None of it's for at me. a time. It's 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 not me. It's just nothing. Ever, it was, who is it? Me. Is it your wife? Of course it is. Yeah. What she's ordering one golf no, ball. No, just time. stuff. Rubbish. Utter rubbish. I, I think we're just looking at the wrong issue, though. I think we all talk about it. The, the real issue is as as mankind, and it's been addressed before, and I think it's number seven on the, wor- the World Health Organization's list of problems humanity's facing. There's too many of us. What do we expect to happen when we're billions and billions of people on this planet using resources that are running out? And we, it's just like we need to take a look. You know, China got rid of their two-child uh, two policy or one-child policy. It's just we're just too many of us trying to – so we need to take a step back and look. And we could do all these little issues. But what is it? Well, I read an article. They said for every Westerner becoming a vegetarian or a vegan – there's three Chinese people who can now afford to eat meat. So we're going to have problems. You know, I mean, great. We've watched a Netflix documentary. We're going to change the world and we're going to become vegans. Great. Over in China, suddenly all these people have got money now. And I'm not, I'm not giving them a hard time about it, but suddenly they've got money. And a status symbol in China is to eat meat. Mm. So mm-hmm. why aren't they eating pork? Why, like, so we're, the, the problem is mankind. There's just too, too many of us, isn't it? I wouldn't have let either of you breed. In uh, well, I was going to ask the question, is your, is your wife after you for another, another kid there, Ethan? No, uh, no. The reason I had so. children, Ed, and we know this, is because I'm getting old. <laughs> I drink quite a bit. I could probably look after myself a bit better. I'm going to need some stem cells at one point, very <laughs> I mean, soon. Most people, would, would, no, or normal people, Heath, would go, they want them to look after them in their old age. You're actually talking about organ harvesting. Yeah, no, he's talking yes, about one of these kids waking up in a bath of ice with a scar it, or their lower it back. Does sound <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> not that extreme, but yeah, I'm just thinking stem cells or something. Liver, you got two. I, liver regenerates a little bit of liver, yeah. probably kidney. I could do the kidney. I've got two of them now. <laughs> My head. I mean, if Poppy I... wants to. When Poppy goes, I want McDonald's. I go. You know, I'm at McDonald's. You've got to look, you after, look after those. You know, like you know, the butcher shop, where they have like the side of a cow, and it's all yeah. it's all divided up. That's how he sees his kids. The, the worrying thing oh, is, he's, he's probably had them tested to see if they're compatible as yeah, well, hasn't that? Probably. The, uh, yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest. Neither of them look like him, so I think he's just yeah. on the wrong tree. <laughs> I think that, I, I look think, more like I, me. I think, I think my daughter. One of, the, one of them looks like me. The other one, yeah, I'm not too sure. Okay, I'm glad he didn't recognise my eyes. Anyway, let's, uh, let, let's, maybe, <laughs> let's maybe move on from, from that thing. So we, we've been talking about food in this episode. I mean, let's, let's just sort of... We try to be a little bit lighthearted at the end and fail most times. Um, what, what, what do we think? Uh, what's your pub grub go-tos? What would you say has got to be on the menu of a, of a, of a good pub? Sunday roast. Sunday roast. Predictable for me. Yeah, well, predictable, but it's the one that it's all the you know to do it well. It's bloody difficult and actually quite expensive when you you're at home. Yeah. So yeah, someone take all the aggro of the prep and the washing up and you mm. know just have just to be able to go there after a week and order a great bottle of wine with it. Lovely, yeah. But that'd, that'd be my number one. Um, Keith, I don't know. It's going like, to come up with something constant, isn't it? I know. No? Well, it's fish and chips, isn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? Maybe a glass of champagne with it, but yeah, maybe just fish and chips. I mean, we were talking earlier. You've you've, you've put a fondue on the menu here, so uh, you, you're going sort of seventies retro. Seventies retro. When are you going to get the uh, the prawn cocktails, the Black Forest Gatto, the never Blue Nun? Well, we're just Ed, Ed. I can't believe we've just had a whole conversation about sustainability, and there's very few producers who actually produce and farm sustainable prawns. Some people in Lincolnshire, but all the other shit comes from Southeast Asia full of bloody sugar syrup and salt to us so no prawn cocktail Ed well let's, let's just put a downer on that entirely hasn't it so uh, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, what a lovely way to go yeah I mean let's, let's draw a line under it there for this week's episode can I just say on sustainability the i3 BMW i3 is very sustainable I believe there's a new model out of BMW listening um, <laughs> the podcast always needs sponsors um, but there you go anyway <laughs> I mean, it's worth a shot, isn't it? It's worth yeah. a shot. I mean, we'd be happy to, to take piece, one. I'm pissing in the wind, but yeah, it's, it's, if you don't ask the question. Yeah, so I'm sure we've got one listener from being... No, we haven't got no. one listener. I struggle with those. Anyway, uh, speaking of listeners, please do subscribe using the links on the uh, website. And again, share far and wide on social media. Uh, perhaps someone at BMW is listening and James would like a new car. So that is it for this week. We will be back next week. We will see you then. Mm-hmm.